the other day, I was pulling out of our office off of West Alabama. We're down there on the corner of West Alabama and Dunlavey, right there, H-E-B, Manil Park. Come by and see us sometime. But I'm pulling out to go home. I take a left. I go into my lane, and I look up, and there's a guy driving towards me. And I'm like, this guy needs to get out of my lane. And so I asserted my position. I kept driving. He asserted his position. He kept driving. And I'm like, the audacity of this guy. And I'm like, I'm like so I'm starting to point at him. I'm like, I see you, and like you are in my lane. And he sees me, and he looks equally mad. And I'm, so then I start honking, and we're now getting closer. And it ends up that we are at a stalemate. This is no lie. This is all true. We're at a stalemate. There's cars passing us. And I am like honking my horn. I'm like, you move. You move. And I'm, I'm like, I don't have any markings on my car to identify my um, statement of beliefs and anything like that or my, my belongings, praise God. Uh, but I'm like, you move, you know, I'm like, you move. And finally, he acquiesces. He gives up. He, go, he moves out of the way, and he gives me this really dirty look as he drives past me. And I'm like, yeah, you know, and I drive on. And then I look up, and I've got a red X on my lane. And I'm in West Alabama, I have these little switchy lanes. And I'm like, oh my gosh. I'm like, how do I like pull the emergency brake and whip it around and go apologize? And I was just like, man, not my best moment. <laughs> and here's the point. Sometimes you think you're doing the right thing when in reality you're doing the wrong thing. And sometimes that wrong thing could be very costly. And thankfully this time we both had enough space and speed to slow down and just give each other dirty looks and honk horns and point. But it could have been much worse, right? I mean, I could have pulled out at the moment that he was coming and we could have, you know, we could have ended up having an accident. Um, this is a lot like what Paul is addressing today as, uh, as he's kind of responding to the Jewish people in Romans 10. So go ahead and open your Bibles, if you haven't already, to Romans 10. We're going to be looking at verses 16 through 21 as we continue to teach through uh, Romans today, this letter, this pastoral letter from Paul to the church in Rome. So yeah, R Romans 10, 16 through 21, we'll have the verses on the screen. Um, also, if you use the YouVersion Bible app, you can go to the More tab at the bottom right, click on Events, we'll pop up, everything you need there as well, as well as some questions to help you further reflect. And then also, if you don't have a Bible at all, there should be one near you um, under a chair. Please take that and take that home with you. That's our gift to you if you don't have a Bible. So uh, to, to kind of give you some quick review of how we've gotten to where we're at, in chapters 9 through 11, Paul is addressing a lot of questions that Israel, the, the Jewish people, the people of God had in reconciling this new covenant that Paul has just been laying out, the new covenant of redemption in Christ. They were working to reconcile these new understandings with their historic beliefs, the old covenant, the law, the sacrificial system, the way in which they worked to, to have their righteousness. And at the beginning of Romans 10, Paul asked this question that Matt taught about a couple weeks ago of, who can be saved? So that was the question. The, the, the resounding, beautiful answer was what? All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So that's who can be saved. All who call on the name of the Lord. So, so then last week, Paul started answering the question, if that's who can be saved, he started answering the question, how are we saved? Or what is our journey to salvation? And as we looked at that in verses 14 and 15, we saw this kind of imperative chain, this chain of events that must occur in order for someone to come to this place of calling on the name of the Lord. And it went something like this. How will anyone call on the name of the Lord to be saved? 
if they have not believed in his redeeming work through the Messiah that has come, Jesus Christ? How will they believe if they have not heard? How will they hear anything if there's no one there to proclaim? And how will there be anyone there to proclaim the good news of Jesus if they have not been sent? So that's what we saw last week. And, we, and, and so this week is really part two of last week, if you will, because really Paul's continuing this train of thought that we started last week of seeing this chain with, he's continuing to wrestle with Israel's unbelief after hearing this chain of salvation. He's continuing to, as Paul has done over and over again, to kind of sit himself in the seat of the listener and and knowing what they're thinking and just kind of being in their heads and addressing it every time. So once again, he's laid it out How will they call if they have not believed? How will they believe if they have not heard? How will they hear if no one's proclaiming? Who will proclaim if no one is sent? And so now he comes to this as he's thinking about that with the people of Israel. And so he comes to this. What we have before us today are two truths about us and one glorious truth about God as we work through these questions. So let me pray for us. God, uh, we love you. Um, and I, I think I say that almost every week, and, and Lord, I know that sometimes it's just kind of a, a, a habit to start my prayers that way, but I, I pray that it truly is um, almost the subconscious cry of our hearts and minds because it is just so overtaken, but at the same time, I pray that it wouldn't reside just in our kind of gray matter but that it would be an overwhelming reality of of a response because of your great love you've shown for us. So Lord, I pray in this time that that again, that your affection, your love, your majesty would be made known and that we in kind would respond just as we are. God, from right where we are in this moment, whatever spiritual journey and place that has brought us to this right now, I pray that as that reality comes into view, that we would respond rightly. And so, God, I pray for, for all people in here, again, whether they are, 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 are cynics and seekers or those who have, been, who have called on Christ and are walking with him, God, we are all in need of the same grace shown in Christ. We're all in need of the same atoning sacrifice that he gave, and, and we all have access to the promise of new life. For all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So let your work be complete today. Lord, speak through me, in spite of me. Take the words that pass from my lips. Catch them aflame into our hearts that we would bear fruit, that we would would show evidence of being new creations uh, in your name in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're just going to read our text in full, uh, all, all, I think, from 16 to 21. Romans 10, 16 through 21. Okay, here we go. So let's read this. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, right? So just remember where we just came from. Remember, how will they call if they have not believed? How will they believe if they have not heard? How will they hear if no one's proclaiming? Who will proclaim if they have not been sent? And so now here we are, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my 
hands to a disobedient and contrary people. So that's our text for today. So sometimes you think you're doing the right thing, but in reality, you're doing the wrong thing. So this is, this is where we start today, because this is why I say that. This is what we see with Israel at the beginning of these verses in verse 16. Paul starts with saying that they have not all believed the gospel. They have not all believed the gospel. The sad irony is with the people of Israel, the Jewish people who have been given the law and the covenants and the temple and the presence and the way of worship, they have been given all this. The sad irony is that Israel, by thinking they could gain righteousness by obeying God, by keeping commands, by by just moral living, They actually found themselves to be disobeying God by rejecting the gospel of salvation that comes only by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And this is, you know, this has been a building tsunami all through Romans, right? Paul's just building this case. He's just building, building, building. So this is the culmination. Not not that this is our summary, but just again, it's just masterfully done. So if you're not familiar with all of Romans, spend some time reading it. All of our past sermons are on our website or on our podcast. You can go check those out. It would help you kind of see this full view of of how God has worked in this new covenant of, of, of redeeming in Christ where our salvation is not by doing, but it's by Jesus, by by our, our by his grace and our faith in Jesus. So Paul really lays out everything he has to say in these first two verses of just 16 and 17. Because as 16 continues, it goes on to quote Isaiah to show that Israel's rejection is nothing new. If you've spent any time in the Old Testament, you just see this really sad rhythm of of God, God calling them as his people, giving them the covenant, and then them saying, all right, I'm all in, and they're doing it. And then they all of a sudden start getting distracted and getting resentful, and they start getting mad at God, and they start rebelling against God. And then God's judgment comes against them. They're like, oh my gosh, we've made a huge mistake. Oh God, forgive us. Restore us. Okay, okay, here you go. He restores them again, and then they say, oh, it's so good. And then all of a sudden they forget, and they start rebelling, and they start resenting, and then they start experiencing the judgment of God again, and then they cry out. It happens over and over again. So he shows by quoting Isaiah here from 700 years before Jesus ever came that this is nothing new. It's not a new indictment. It's not a new way of life for them. It's it's sadly been the story over and over again. So what Paul is saying is that the problem here is the same now as it was then. Israel's problem is that they lack faith. They haven't trusted God to be God. They haven't trusted his ways. They haven't shown that they trust the word of Christ, as it says, because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And the word of Christ here, just to summarize it real quickly for you, is simply the gospel, the good news of God in Christ Jesus. To maybe expand on that a little bit more, God's glorious is God's glorious, merciful, grace-filled, loving, saving work accomplished in Jesus not by you. He did it. That's glorious. So that's what he's saying. They have failed to acknowledge this. They always forgot that their place of blessing was one that was meant to glorify God and be a blessing to the entire earth. They had always made it about something that they controlled, they did for their benefit as a whole. And he's saying, so they have missed the word of Christ, the gospel, the way in which God accomplishes his redeeming work in all of creation. So if the chain of belief is to to hear and to believe and to call on God, what they have missed is the trusting and calling on God. So that really is all Paul has to say today. 
And so now he just takes a few verses to make sure that we can't dance around this, that the people of Israel can't dance around and find some little loophole that they can kind of reside in and say, I'm okay, I have an excuse, which Paul has done every time he's asked a question. It makes it impossible for us to wiggle out of it. So, so we still have four more verses, and so he's going to just dispel these ex- excuses here. So thinking through the chain, Paul's first task here. Um, is, is kind of addressing, well, may, well maybe, maybe the people of Israel haven't heard yet. Maybe that's the problem. Have they heard yet? So if we're thinking through this, maybe it's that they just haven't heard it. Maybe they're just ignorant. And he says it in verse 18, But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. So, so we see his simple answer, indeed they have, but it may not be as obvious how this reference proves that. So Paul's answer is this emphatic, yes, they have heard. And there's two things we need to notice about his answer um, in, in, in referencing here. And so if you're wondering where this reference comes from, it comes from Psalm 19, and specifically it's Psalm 19.4. Let me read 1 through uh, the beginning of 4 for you kind of, so you can kind of see. And I want you to see if you catch what's interesting about this. It says this, The heavens declare the glory of God. Let me say that again. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. There, so who is there here? It is the heavens and the sky. It is creation. Their words, their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. So that's what Paul's referencing. This passage here is speaking of God's creation, revealing his glory. This is what we would call God's general revelation that comes through creation. And Paul talked about this back in Romans 1, verse 20. But it's this general revelation that God makes himself known through his creation. The majesty is there that turns people's hearts. And, the, and, and we see that. And yet, Paul somehow uses this as a defense for saying that the people's proclamation of Israel has been heard. That the people of Israel have heard the truth of Jesus. And I don't know if you kind of are familiar, but this is kind of something that we, we would typically say, you can't, you can't do this. This is kind of a mixing of context. You can't, you can't say that, you can't use a proof text that has a different premise, right? And so, he's, so, so that's our first thing we need to notice. And we'll, we'll wrap that up in a second. I'm not going to leave you hanging. Secondly, in referencing this passage, Paul claims that the message of the Messiah has made it to the ends of the world um, when we know that it has not. I mean, we have entire missions organizations committed to taking the gospel to places that are unreached and unaccessed. We, we partner with one of those, East-West Ministries. We, we partner with ministry in Pakistan that's doing the same thing. So we know that the gospel has not made it to the ends of the earth. So like, like we, all of a sudden, we have kind of two flags that we're throwing at Paul of like, wait a minute, Paul, like you're, you're just kind of pulling stuff out of air. You're pulling stuff out of the hat, like just hoping that people are ignorant not to catch what you're saying. You're, they're, they're just going to be nodding their heads and going with it. But to your maybe unsurprise or surprise, Paul is legit in his claims, and let's just talk about why. So to deal with the latter first of like, how, how can we say the, the, the truth of the Messiah, the message of the Messiah has made it to the ends of the world? We must understand how Scripture is written, and Paul is writing in a context to a people. And so again, he is addressing the people of Israel. So here, Paul is talking about 
Israel. He's saying that wherever there were, wherever there are, there were Jewish people, there they can know that the message of the Messiah had come. Again, think about first off just all that they had been given. They had been given the covenants. This is coming back from Romans 8 and 9. They had been given the covenants, the, the, the law. They had been given the way of worship. They had been given the temple, the very presence of God. And then also the Messiah had come and they were talking about it. And so he was just, it was this frame of reference of wherever there is a people group of Israel, there we can know that this message has made it so they have heard. So that's how we can deal with the latter. That's how we can understand it rightly. And then to address Paul's seeming misreference to creation, I want us to see here again, think about the way in which people wrote. This is, this is a literary device. Paul was referencing kind of eloquent, known language. Everyone, the, everyone in the, the, the Jewish audience would have known that this was Psalm 19. And they would have known that Psalm 19 was this beautiful picture of God's glory being shown in all of creation, where he is this transcendent, holy, majestic God who is also imminent and near and they would have known it was this picture of this general, uh, this general revelation. And he wanted that to be evoked in them because he wanted to them to, to connect to this global reality that God's glory is known because he created it all. And through all of creation, his presence, his glory, his person is proclaimed. So he did that on purpose because what he's saying, he wants to draw out on this reality that God's people should have the same pervasive witness that's what he's wanting to point out is that it should be it is that it is just is it is the same just as God's glory and creation is everywhere wherever God's people are the witness of his glory and goodness should be that overwhelming and overtaking and pervasive so I said that we would learn two things about ourselves and one thing about God today here's the first thing about ourselves we are responsible for the worldwide witness of the word of Christ. We are responsible for the worldwide witness of the word of Christ. Do we see that here? In quoting Psalm 19, where we see God's desire of general revelation to come through creation, we see that he desires this specific or special revelation, as we would call it, of, this, of his grace to come through his people, you and me. So this is a lot like last week, as we talked about this this, what this leads us to, that we are a sent people. The question is not, do we stay? It's like, how are we sent? I'm sent today, and I may be sent, and like, are you being burdened? Are you being called out? Are you being stirred up towards an opportunity? How can you respond to go? I mean, I love thinking about Rudy and Diana. They've done that with their life. They're part of apartment life. Their place of abode is their place of calling. Apartment life is a place where they work as social coordinators in their apartment complex, ordained by the apartment complex, right? Like, they're like, we want you here to, to like, make this a fun place to be, to get people want relationships, so you get them together. But they also know that because apartment life is providing the staffing, that they have freedom to actually build relationships around the gospel and hopefully call people into faith in Christ. So again, that's a beautiful picture of someone who has who's had an opportunity, who has had a compelling by God, who has responded. So thank you guys for giving us that witness. But that's much of what we talked about last week. And if you think this is just bad writing where it's just repetitive and Paul was kind of having a stream of consciousness and just got stuck in a loop like I sometimes do, not very often, Paul is a little bit better than me. 
Um, he didn't, this isn't bad writing. This isn't him just externally processing. The, the whole point of this sounding a lot like the last two verses is this is emphasis. It's emphasis. So what he said last week, now he gives you another picture of it, that, that this, this pervasive witness of all of creation should be the same for you and for me. We are responsible for the worldwide witness of the word of Christ. Do y'all remember what the word of Christ is? The gospel, right? The gospel, the good news of Jesus. John Stott says, if God wants the general revelation of his glory to be universal, how much more must he want the special revelation of his grace to be universal too? God does that in his sovereign way, but he has absolutely designed it and desired it that the church, the people of God, would be a part of making that happen. That is our mandate. That's the great commission. Go into all the world. We just Jesus said in John 17, as I am sent, I send them. So, it's us. We're the, that is our opportunity. Then notice what Paul said. He said that what, wherever there is a Jewish people, the witness has gone out. This should be true of the people of God today. The people who are in Christ, and to be more specific, if you have called on Christ in this room, you and me. That's what that means. Do we live in a way that proclaims the excellencies of Jesus every day? Every day moving us closer to this thing we've been talking about, gospel saturation. Gospel saturation being this, this reality that we could see where in our communities and in our world, every man, woman, and child, child have an encounter with Jesus in word and deed every day. Do you live in a way that every day the excellencies of Christ are proclaimed? That because He is the good news and we are in Him, we are good news people abiding in peace and joy and courage and strength and humility. And even though we face trials, we're real about our trials, but they do not overcome because we are in Him who has overcome the world. Is that how you live every day? And again, so let's just keep going before you get too burdened with guilt because that's not the point. Let's make it a little more personal. Do you live in a way that if every other Christian were to live like you, that this would be as safe to assume for us as Paul had said about the Jewish people of the time? If we were all, if we, you know, we say, follow me as I follow Christ. We didn't make that up. Paul said it first. But that's our opportunity and our invitation as we seek to make disciples of all the earth. Right? We say, follow me as I follow Christ. If that were to happen with everyone around you, what would the result be? Would we see a church that has a pervasive witness of the word of Christ in all the earth? That is terrifying, and I pray it's also inspiring. Because don't forget grace. But man, let's hear that. Let's take it to heart. Let's not sit and just nod heads or just like think, start thinking about lunch now because that's easier. Like Let's really contemplate this and think about the implications of like, what? I mean, like, okay, so what if everyone did do like me? Like I said, this is not guilt, and the reason why it's not guilt is because it's identity. It is identity. We are not here to be just like really good moral creatures or just to be really good at sin management. That's not the gospel. That's not what we do. That's not why we call each other to this so that we can manage our sin better. Like here's the crazy thing is that like we can't manage our sin. We can't. Like we, we live today under Christ, 
we say, God, here I am as, as broken and kind of as messed up as I am. And guess what? God is pleased with you coming to him as you are because his righteousness is on you because of Jesus. You wear it like a robe that has been given to you. And so you don't have to manage your sin. Yes, we fight against it. We pursue righteousness. But our, our, our salvation is not about sin management because the sin's been taken care of. And so it's identity because you've been crucified with Christ. You're dead to your old self. You're dead to sin and death. You've been raised to new life with him. So you have a resurrected life. You've been given a new name. You're safe and secure because it is his safety and security. You're part of the people of God because he is. You are the priesthood of believers. You are his ambassadors. You are free. So it's, it's not guilt because this is your identity. And yes, it is hard to abide in that. It's hard to walk in that. It's hard not to just get consumed with how bad I've done today. It's hard to not get consumed with how I've sinned today. But what God wants us to always remember is that we are His because we're His, and we're His because Jesus made us His. And Jesus paid the price. He took our penalty. He took our guilt, and He gave us freedom and life and salvation. And as we have loved saying recently as we were working through, through Romans, God is definitely not against effort in our life unto Him. He is just against the idea of earning and that's what the people of Israel had done. They had forgot, they, they had thought that their job was to earn, their job was to obey so that they, they could be righteous. They denied the fact that it was Jesus' righteousness given to them. Whew. So the first thing we see about ourselves, and it picks up speed. The first things we see about ourselves is that we are responsible for God's witness of the word of Christ to all the earth. So let's keep going. So Paul showed they have no excuse of not hearing. Now he goes on to this next part of the chain where, you know, he talks about, says maybe they don't understand. Okay, so we see that they heard, but maybe they just didn't get it. Maybe they don't understand. So Romans 10, 19 through 21, but I asked, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, so he refers to Moses in Deuteronomy, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. So Paul refers to, in answering this question of maybe they didn't understand, he refers to Moses and Isaiah. And to make sure you catch what's happening here, this is a reference to Deuteronomy 32, which is part of the Torah or the law, the instruction of God for God's people. And then Isaiah 65, which is the prophet. So really what Paul is referencing here is every bit of authoritative text that the people of Israel had, the law in the prophets. And so he's, he's, just coming, he's just coming out of the gates. He's like, hey, you can't get out of the way of this. So this is the entire force of the old covenant of which they thought they were so, in, in right, they were, they were so sure of their right standing of. So, so what does Paul say then? What is he pointing out? What Paul points out is that it is only the Gentiles that do not understand. And again, if you don't know the Gentiles in this, in this context, is anyone who is not a people of Israel, anyone who's not Jewish. And they were, they were known to be ignorant to the ways of God. They, didn't, they, they weren't given any of what Israel was given. They were not given the law, the covenants, the temple, the worship, the presence. They weren't given any of that. So they're, they're the ignorant ones. And the context here knows that the people listening, that's their understanding. And so he says, no, he says, what he points out is that the Gentiles, they're the ones who don't understand. They were the ignorant ones. So by in contrast, he's saying that you are not the ignorant ones. You are not the ones 
who don't understand. So this is another emphatic answer taking away any excuse Israel has for, for their unbelief. And if you remember the chain, the only thing left is their calling on God in faith and surrender. He says, we see here they have no excuse left. In chapter, chapter 9, as Paul was addressing this in the beginning, he, he talked about their unbelief being due to God's sovereign election. That, that it, uh, by God's mercy, some were plucked out of their rebellion. That the remnant of his covenant would remain. That's what we saw in chapter 9. But now here we see it's not there that they haven't heard. It's not that they haven't understood. We see very clearly by it saying, all day long I've held up my hands to the disobedient contrary people. That's speaking of the people of Israel. What we see is that they are responsible for their unbelief by their own disobedience and rebellion against God, by their denying the word of Christ. So the first thing we learned about ourselves is that we are responsible for the worldwide witness of the world of word of Christ. I think I accidentally made a tongue twister. I did not mean to do that. That's not smart to do that. Um, it's hard to say. Worldwide witness of the word of Christ it has a good ring to it. Um, <laughs> and then we, all, we understand, understand that to be God's saving work in Christ. Now we see the second thing about ourselves is this. We are responsible for how we respond to the word of Christ. So we're, respo we're responsible for what we do with the word of Christ. We're responsible in how we respond to the word of Christ. We must come to the point of seeing that we are sinners in need of saving, that we have come up short of what we were created for. We were created to live holy lives in perfect relationship with God. We must see that we cannot work our way there or achieve our way there. We are responsible for how we respond to the word of Christ. Jesus Christ is our only way to redemption. He is our atoning sacrifice. He is the one who makes things right. He reconciles us to God. He is the one who gives us wholeness and peace. He gives us our salvation, which is, again, by grace through faith in Jesus. Again, we have to come to the place of seeing Jesus is God's loving, atoning sacrifice. Again, like I said earlier, he took our guilt and penalty and gave us his innocence and freedom. So what have we learned about ourselves? Let's summarize quickly once again, that we're responsible for how we respond to the word of Christ and that we are responsible for what we do with the word of Christ. We are meant to be witnesses from here to the ends of the earth. What can we understand about God in these verses? Do you, you remember that I said it was glorious at the beginning in our little preview? Like God's a, a glorious truth about God. Did you notice anything about God in verses 20 and 21? In verse 20, what we see is that we see God pursuing the Gentiles. And, and looking at that and, and from here in this text and maybe what you know of the Gentiles, what were they like towards God? They were indifferent. They were aloof. They were ignorant he didn't give God the time of day because it just wasn't in their worldview or in their mindset. It was neither here nor there. 
God revealed himself to them that they had not asked for it, that they had not sought after him. And now many were responding to him in saving faith. And then in verse 21, we see what? God pursued the people of Israel, the Jewish people. And what have we been talking about tonight? What were they like towards him? I mean, to be indifferent and ignorant is an offense when, when God is who he is and he's done what he's done and he's made himself noble. But what they did and how they were was much worse. This is Paul's point now and for the last two chapters. They've been given it all. We've said it a few times today. The law, the prophets, the worship, the presence and holiness of God, fellowship with God. They were called his people and he was called their God. And yet, they have denied him. They've rebelled. They've thrown his mercy and love in his face. I mean, that's, that's a, I mean, like, wrap your head around that for a minute. If you acknowledge God to be God as we are talking about him here, eternal, sovereign, holy, loving Father, merciful, perfectly just, full of grace and love, that's, that's, that's offensive. And yet, what do we see? God has, it says God held out his hands. And it's this beckoning hands, these benevolent, loving, gracious, inviting hands to his rebellious people over and over again. I don't know if you've ever read through the Old Testament, but I kind of get tired of God's grace and mercy just in my own flesh. Praise God, he, praise God he's not like me, and he's trying to make me more like him. But I'm like, just stop already. Like, just, just drop the hammer. But over and over again, he extends hands of grace and love and mercy and invitation over and over again. So we see that God sought out the one who had nothing to do with him, who thought they, they had a whole life unto themselves and they didn't need him or it just wasn't anything to consider. But then he also, in just this loving, longing, heavenly father posture said, I am here. He kept holding out his hands, beckoning trying to restore and return. So what do we understand about God? God is a sovereign, holy God who expresses all that he does with absolute patience, love, mercy, and grace. Is that a God that is worthy of your belief and surrender? Is that a God that is worthy of your life? God repeatedly extends his grace and love to those who rebel, who rebel and deny him. We talked about, I talked about kind of in the beginning, just after Stephanie kind of giving a picture of our community, this heart of God, and this is what we see. God is not just interested in those who like him. He's not just interested in those who are already with him. He's not just interested in those who have already patterned their life after his commands. God is a missionary God who loves you and all those around you and is moved with compassion to the point that he sent his one and only son to overcome your sin and rebellion, to overcome your death and pain, to overcome your rebellion to, the, to him so that you could be whole, so that y'all could have fellowship once again, so that we could have fellowship with him once again. Tim Keller says this, everyone will answer to God for whether they supplied the last link in the chain, whether they believed. We must ensure that wherever it is that God has placed us, no one around us can say 
they have not heard or understood. So our first question today is if you're in here, is if, if you have not believed and surrendered and called on God, I want to invite you to do that today. Have you heard? If you still need to seek understanding, let us do that with you. If you're at a place of understanding this and it's just the point of surrender, again, don't put yourself alongside the people of Israel here. Take that step. Surrender. Call on God. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you're here, if you're here today and you are a Christ follower, let's not let anyone have an excuse that they have not heard or understood. Let us be diligent Is there someone in your life today that needs to hear and see the witness of the word of Christ? We plant seeds, we water, God causes the growth in Christ, but get out there, plant seeds and water. Take responsibility for that work today, tomorrow, the next day. Get up, brush your teeth, go to work, and pray that your eyes and ears are open to see as God does, to see the people around you as he does. He loves them. He loves them just as much as he loves you. And he loves you just as much as he loves them, in case you need to hear that too. We must ensure that no one around us can say they haven't heard. Today as we pray, if there's someone that just came into your mind, pray for them. Pray that they would know the goodness of God and pray that you would be available and used however God sees fit, that you would be available and courageous. Courageous because we are not earning anything. Courageous because we are secure. And your opportunity is just to have the same hands of God holding them out in loving, merciful invitation to the one who is greater than you. We are sent. There's no way around it. It's not that some are and some aren't. If you are in Christ, you are sent. You want to live out your identity, this is part of it. So let's proclaim to all the world the good news of Jesus, living as good news people. To God be the glory. Let me pray. God, you are good. I'm humbled by this truth today. I'm sobered by this truth today. I'm grateful by this truth today. That in your love and mercy, you overcame my sin, my death. By taking on flesh, entering into this world, sending your one and only Son to not make us come to you, but making, giving us the way to you. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Lord, I thank you that you have called me to this purpose, and I'm also sobered and terrified, knowing that I will fall short, knowing that I will have absent-minded, blind, day, blind eyes, different days but i thank you for your grace so let us just kind of bring our 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 best broken offering and knowing that you take it and make it beautiful for your work for your glory and for the redeeming work of those around us every day in christ
Lord, as we continue in worship to reflect on the work of Christ as he has given us a picture in communion, let us be mindful of those who need to know about his body that is broken and his blood that was shed that we could have life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.